Guys, a couple of quick things. Um, you know that Wednesday night's a big night. Wednesday night is a congregational meeting here. Um, starts at 6.30. It's on the screen. Those are the, the 14 men from which you will select five to occupy the office of elder. Um, it is a vital choice that you make. Nobody makes it for you. Um, I, I, if your church home is uh, um, a significant part of your life, I don't know of a more important decision that you make. I, and I can't understand why anyone would want to sit home. Don't sit home. Come and cast your vote for five of those 14 men. And uh, those will be the man, men that will lead us for the next three years, uh, along with ten others. You know, we have a rotating session, which means five men rotate off every year. And so we have five vacancies every year. This is nothing unusual. We do it every year. So I hope you'll plan to be with us. I, I also hope you'll stay after the vote. Um, there's an observation that I would love for you to see out of Galatians chapter 5, verse 26, that I think will um, will interest you greatly. So... Come be with us Wednesday night. Uh, there is a supper. I don't know what time it starts. I guess it's 5.30. So you can come eat an inexpensive meal and then uh, vote in the election. Now, guys, could I ask you to do something with me? I did this a month ago or so, and I told you that we were going to do it more frequently. Uh, it caused such a stir the last time we did it. I thought, well, why not stir again, you know? We are going to... If, if you will, if you wouldn't mind, we're going to stand in about 90 seconds, and we're going, I'm going to ask you a question, and uh, you can read the answer in the bulletin. It's in the left-hand panel right in the center. It's called the Apostles' Creed. Now, before we do it, let me uh, say to you again, uh, for those of you who have problems saying, I believe in the Catholic Church, understand that that word is not referring to the Roman Catholic Church. That's not what it's saying. Uh, it's simply a word by, by way of definition, by way of Websterian definition, which simply means universal. We believe that there is a church, that Jesus Christ has his people all over the world. That's all you're saying, okay? So, would you stand with me for a moment? And so I ask you, Christian, what is it that you believe. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. That, my brother and sister, are things we believe. Would you be seated? Now, if you will, grab your Bibles and let me read you our text this morning. It comes um, from the last chapter of Hebrews. We're uh, just about done with our study of that book. Um, Lord willing, no, two more after today and, and we'll be done. So 
Hebrews chapter 13, simply verses 1 and 2. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, this endures forever. Guys, I think a lot of you know that Susie and I uh, first heard the gospel from a preacher in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, whose name was Dr. D. James Kennedy. Dr. Kennedy is dead now, um, but Dr. Kennedy um, created an evangelism program, a lay evangelism. When, if that word lay is uh, unfamiliar to you, it just means laity, the non-clergy. You've got clergy and laity, you know, that's all. He created a program that was known as Evangelism Explosion, um, and it taught uh, the laity um, how to share their faith individually in a clear and succinct and concise way. Um, that training uh, still goes on all over the world, even today. It still goes on in this church. Uh, Tom Jordan teaches a class on evangelism explosion from time to time. Um, the Southern Baptist Convention used that program. They renamed it, and I think they remarketed it a little bit, but it was the same program that was authored by Dr. D. James Kennedy. And, and I would say to you that the training that I got back in the 70s is training that I still use today. Now, the program um, somewhat fell apart. Um, and I don't know exactly when, maybe the 90s, maybe later, I don't know. But um, there's not much of the program going on anymore today. And the reason that it is not going on is because of the coarsening of our culture. Now, let me, let me explain what I mean to you when I say coarsening of the culture. Gang, back in the se- <laughs> so just age me real quickly. Back in the seventies, as a part of the training of evangelism explosion, we were sent out on Thursday nights, and we were to knock on doors. The word we use is cold calls or cold calling. We were to knock on doors, uh, greet the whoever answered the door, in the hopes that we might be invited in. So that we could share the gospel with the uh, with the residents in the home. <laughs> now imagine if somebody would do something like that on your doorstep today. That's what I mean by the coarsening of the culture. We are so much more guarded, so much more fearful, um, and and perhaps rightly so. Um, you, you know, <laughs> I, I don't mean this to be tacky. I'm just trying to make a point. Um, it is only the cults and um, uh, shysters that show up on your front doorstep uninvited and uninnounced. And so you, you don't go to the door, you don't answer the door, you don't let anybody in because the culture since the 70s, you know, that's, that's almost 50 years ago now. The, the culture is just different. So trying to send out people to knock on doors uninvited, unexpected, would be just 
I mean, it, it would not be pretty. And, um, but it, it, it worked back then. We did it. And, and, um, but because the culture has so morphed, the program kind of lost its, its, um, its steam. But the training is still available. The training as, as to how to share your faith. And, um, and we teach it here, as I said. But uh, going out to Germany, it's almost like all homes have moats built around them now, you know, and uh, do not enter. And we live in guarded communities. And you, you, you get the point that I'm trying to make. So um, here's the rub. Many of us still have a conscience about doing so little um, by way of an aggressive effort to reach people with the gospel. Um, we simply cannot um, wait for the unbelieving world to come to us. But we're doing so little about that. And the one program that was so successful back in the 60s and 70s, they even made a movie out of it, by the way. It was called Like a Mighty Army, about evangelism explosion. But um, because that doesn't fly anymore, um, and then there is still the need, still the desire on the part of many of us to be more aggressive in terms of reaching people with the gospel. This morning... I want to offer you another strategy. Um, it's a strategy that I, I didn't come up with on my own. In fact, I first heard um, the mention of this idea out of the mouth of Rosaria Butterfield. You remember her? She's the woman that came and spoke here, um, I don't know, two years ago now. Um, she had written this book. Uh, the Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. And by the way, if you haven't read this, um, borrow my copy. Uh, or we might have them on sale out there. This is, this is outstanding. Um, but anyway, uh, um, this author came to Gracie Van and spoke uh, one night, and she was wonderful. Uh, but in our discussions with her while she was here, she suggested aware of the same thing that I've just outlined, the coursing of the culture, she suggested that because of those cultural givens, um, that the best way to reach the world is via hospitality. Which brings me to my text. Did you, did you see it when I read it? Let brotherly love continue. But do not neglect to show hospitality. Um, guys, chapter 13 in the book of Hebrews is a collection of the author's closing exhortations. There are those who think that the book of Hebrews is not a letter, but it was a sermon. Um, that it was one long sermon. Uh, and so he's come to the end of his sermon, and he is closing his sermon with a couple of exhortations to God's people. And here's a couple of them, you know, don't um, uh, show brotherly love and don't neglect hospitality. So what, what I'm suge suggesting is I really didn't get what I'm about to say from Rosaria, 
I got it from the text. Uh, because the exhortation is there for all of us. The, um, uh, the showing of hospitality. And um, I- I'm telling you guys, so many of you would be so good at this. Um, but let me explain what I mean when I say this. What is the this that I think so many of you would be good at? Um, okay, first of all, gang, the Bible uses the word hospitality differently than, than we do. If you Google, not, not right now, but if you Google the word hospitality, you're going to get references to um, vacation resorts and to Martha Stewart, um, which is really more about entertaining than it is about hospitality. And here's the distinction, guys. The word that is in Hebrews 13.2 is the word philozenia. It's the Greek word out of which we get our English word xenophobia. If you're xenophobic, you are afraid of strangers. But philozenia means love of strangers. So the idea of going to Martha Stewart for advice is, is ludicrous. We are being exhorted to have a love of strangers. Now, gang, in antiquity, hospitality was particularly valuable since travel, any travel, was very difficult. As you know, there were motels did not exist. Inns were few and far between. And danger lurked behind every rock. You know the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. He's on his way from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he gets mugged by these thugs. That, that's what travelers faced all the time. So if you traveled at all, here's what, here's what you faced. You arrived at the city gate or a well that was outside the city, and you waited for someone to invite you to their home to take care of you. By the way, you see that very thing taking place in um, Genesis 19, uh, in the story about Lot. You see it taking place in Genesis 24, <coughs> pardon me, um, in the story about Isaac. It's several places in the Old Testament. But if no invitation was forthcoming, you camped out. You slept on the ground. Uh, you went hungry. And you were very vulnerable to... Um, <laughs> folks with evil intent. Now, later on in the Old Testament, and I want you to see this, later on in the Old Testament, God takes hospitality and he raises it to something that is downright sacramental. Um, Bill Lane, in his commentary on the book of Hebrews, calls hospitality a sacrament. Now, I'm not sure I'd go that far, but I want you to see what he has in mind. So, if you've got your Bible still open, go to the book of Deuteronomy, and I want to read you three verses. The book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 10. It's the fifth book in the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 10. I want you to see this, guys. This is really rich. Deuteronomy 10, beginning at verse 17. 
For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribes. Here we go. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Guys, first of all, there's this statement in verse 17 about the God to whom we belong. And then there's this exhortation in the middle to love sojourners. And then verse 19 tells us our motive. Because we were once sojourners. But ladies and gentlemen, this is not the only place where you find things like that. If I were to ask you what is the most famous psalm in the Bible, I bet you every one of you would say the 23rd Psalm. But if you're, if you're new to, to, a, to the Bible and you're not familiar with numbers, um, you'll, you'll, you'll recognize these words. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's the 23rd Psalm. Most of us know and love the 23rd Psalm, and we call it by that name. We call it the Shepherd Psalm. And in it, the Lord is portrayed as a shepherd who cares for, who provides for, and protects the sheep. But ladies and gentlemen, whereas in this psalm, Jesus is portrayed as a shepherd, or God is portrayed as a shepherd, that ultimately is fleshed out in Christ, there is another image in this psalm that we often overlook. Listen to it. This is 5 and 6, verses 5 and 6. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Do you see that? This psalm has two images in it. That God is a shepherd and that God is a host. Folks, all of this language in ancient antiquity meant something. For instance, um, uh, you prepare a table. Well, you feed me. You took me in and, and you fed me. Um, you anoint my head with oil. Guys, if you had somebody over, oftentimes in lieu of a bath, you would anoint them with perfumes for obvious reasons. Um, <clears throat> surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. No, my cup overflows. You were greeted with a cup of choice wine and, and, and filled to the brim. And then I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Do you see that? Not only does God talk about being loving foreigners, strangers, sojourners in Deuteronomy 10, but in the psalm that we all know and love the most, we see the shepherd image, but we've overlooked the host image. Um, he prepares a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Boy, if I stay out there by the city gate, <laughs> I'm going to get brutalized. But no, 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 no. He's brought me in. He's fed me. 
God is pictured here as a host. So, so, so what I'm trying to demonstrate is that hospitality is not less than bringing people into your home, but it is so much more. Now remember, guys, all I'm trying to do is offer you a strategy. A strategy as to how to reach the world. Because they're not going to let you in their front door when you knock on it uninvited and, and un, unwelcomed. And I'm saying that God has already exhorted us to be a lover of strangers and then tells us that he himself is a host. It's, it's not less than opening your home, but it's so much more. My money, my home, my resources are to be spent on people who don't necessarily look like me, who don't believe like me, who are foreign to me. Why? Because that is what God has done for us. Um, I was once an outsider. And he took me in. Guys, John Piper, a name familiar to many of you, has written a, a little pamphlet entitled Strategic Hospitality. And in that, that little pamphlet, he, he suggests that the goal of hospitality is to draw people in, I'm quoting, to draw, um, is to draw people into a deeper experience with God. Yeah. You know what that's called? That's called evangelism. Guys, to take someone out for coffee or to have someone in for coffee, to invite a neighbor in for a dessert and, and simply to listen to them, welcome them, you don't have to be ordained to do that. You don't have to have a bunch of theological degrees to do that, or you don't have to have any training and counseling to do that. There is no technique involved or, or formula to follow. Guys, it is, sim- it is a simple effort to aid people in their fight against loneliness and isolation. It's a simple effort. To aid people in their fight against loneliness and isolation. Uh, you want a technique? I'll give you a technique. It's a technique I read in a book of uh, some counselor wrote, and it's it's very complicated. It simply says, he called it something, and it had the word spotlight in it. Put the spotlight on them. You know. I put the spotlight on my guest, not me. We say, tell me your story. I remember R.C. Sproul saying, when I pastored in Ocala, he preached there one time, and he said, all of us have a story. All of us have a story about which we could write a, um, 
an autobiography. You know, there's some truth in that. All of us have a story, and it's interesting. So we invite somebody over for coffee and say, um, tell us your story. Guys, I say it's simple. Um, Bill Lane, as I've said, called it called hospitality a sacrament. And, and um, I'm, again, I'm, I don't think I'd call it a sacrament. But the point that he was making is this, that in a sacrament, you take common elements like bread and grape juice, and when you use them to, to symbolize something that God has done, they become really special. So God can take common elements like us and use us in a way that is really something something special. To show interest, to listen well, to spotlight them. I believe God can use that. Or no, no, of course he can use anything. I believe God will use that. Now guys, and I want you to know you can do it. You can do this so much better than I can. And I'm the one with all the theological degrees. But when I call up somebody and say, why don't you come over to my house? The first thing they do is grab their wallet. What does he want? Um, Am I in trouble? You cannot imagine the number of people who come to my, my office and before they get in the door, they say, am I in trouble? Now, if I've done that to you, please forgive me. I, I, I didn't mean to. But I really don't think it's me. I just think it's the, you know, it's the office. But, but for me to do what I'm pleading for you to do is, is, is so much scarier if I do it. Folks, um, you don't need to get out the silver and the china. That's the, um, that's the Martha Stewart approach. A cup of coffee will do. And a large slice of listening. Quite honestly, um, hospitality merely requires an attitude. Um, an attitude that is grown out of the gospel. A gospel which simply states love the sojourner or the foreigner or the stranger. Because you were once one of them. It's just an attitude that is, that is rooted in and grounded in the gospel. It's a desire to turn strangers into guests and guests into friends and eventually friends into brothers and sisters in Christ, which is exactly what happened to Rosaria Butterfield. Do you know her story? Do you know that she was a professor? She's got a PhD. She was a a tenured professor at Syracuse University. She taught uh, in the humanities. She taught a course. I hope this isn't offensive. The title of the course at Syracuse was Queer Theology. She was a lesbian herself, and she was invited over to the home of Ken Smith and his wife. And through these acts of hospitality, Rosaria Butterfield 
is now my sister in Christ and yours. Guys, um, hospitality goes after new people and even people that the world excludes. Have you ever heard any, have you ever heard anybody say, um, well, I, I visited that church and uh, not a, not one person spoke to me. <clears throat> I've heard people say that. They've said it to me about us. And none of us wants that to be true of us. So we have an exhortation in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2. Do not neglect hospitality. And I'm suggesting that via, by the way, this, she's written another book. Um, she's written, well, I, uh, I think she, this was her, the one, it's not out, not, not out yet. And it won't be until April of next year. Um, but the title of the book was so entrancing to me. The title of the book, her fourth one out in April, is um, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. Don't you love that? The Gospel Comes with a House Key? I'm saying, and she's saying, and, and I think the hint is here in both Psalm 23 and Deuteronomy 10, that an effective strategy for reaching people who don't believe like we do is via hospitality. Now, guys, let me close with just a few suggestions um, that I hope you'll consider. And the suggestions are designed to help you apply Hebrews 13.2, which says, do not neglect hospitality. I'm simply giving you seven, seven suggestions, that's all they are, as to how we might heed that exhortation in Hebrews 13.2. Okay, number one, pray. Ask God to show you someone to befriend. Ask God to show you somebody to invite over for a cup of coffee or a dessert or whatever. Start there. Pray. Second, ask people over to your home. Um, assure them that you're not selling anything. Um, I'm simply wanting to know I'm simply wanting to hear about you. That's all I want to do. That's the only agenda. Tell me your story. Three, guys, ask people over to your spiritual house. Invite them to church with you. Um, do this. Say, come to church with me Sunday, and afterwards um, we'll go out to lunch, and I'll buy. I have a coupon. <laughs> um, come to church, and we'll go grab a bite and talk about what that lunatic in the pulpit said. What, what do you say? Fourth, open your home to a grace group. And invite a colleague from work to your grace group. Um, let's turn strangers into friends and friends into brothers and sisters in Christ. Number five, volunteer to help in a 
in an MIT. If you don't know what those are around here, they're, they're called ministry initiative teams. And they're, they're ministries that are, that are boutique ministries about certain things like, um, uh, abortion or, uh, uh, abused women. And people get behind these ministries and they help. Get, get in one of those and help. How about this? This is number six. Be an usher or greeter and do it with an evangelical flair. Make sure that every person that passes you feels like they have just come to their second home. And then lastly, <laughs> gang, um, that little segment that we have in our worship service called Life Together, when Randy says, you know, turn around and, and uh, greet somebody around you, what, what do you think that is? Is that an icebreaker? Is that, is that what we're trying to do here? No, it's not an icebreaker. You know, in, in other churches, um, particularly liturgical churches, they have this thing called passing the peace. You ever heard of that? Passing the peace? I, you know, I think it's kind of corny, but what do I know? Um, but we, we are trying to greet someone that I don't know and Turn a stranger into a guest. So, my advice, my, my suggestion is that you redeem that 90 seconds. That's about all it is. It's about 90 seconds. D- don't sit there with a frozen, chosen look on your face. Become an evangelist. <clears throat> Be a part of establishing a climate. A climate of hospitality where people walk out and feel just a, just a little bit known and a little bit less lonely. I'll, I'll tell you, admittedly, it can be quite expensive to, um, to stick your neck out. Um, expensive? Yeah. In this sense, they could reject you. You could call them and ask them over and they say, I wouldn't dream of coming to your nasty old house. You know, <laughs> I hope they won't, but, but guys, um, if they do, I want you to remember this. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribes. Because that is your God, you are safe. To be turned down by people stings. But my brother and sister in Christ, you will never face the big turn down when you stand before him. He will take you in. Now, guys, remember, the motive is simply this. We were all once strangers ourselves. 
and God brought us into his house. It is God who is the ultimate host. So to do this is simply a small effort at trying to be like him. And whatever it cost me, it will never cost me as much as it cost him to turn me from an enemy to a son. And because he has done that, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Heavenly Father, I I do pray that you will stir our thinking. Um, If this is not a good suggestion, then would you help us find another one? Would you give us um, ways that we might be useful to you in the, the advancement of the kingdom of Christ? Would you give us ways, Father, to um, to find people who are marginalized already and um, people uh, with whom we might make a connection and um, be used in your hands to draw them to yourself. Father, there is a, there is a room full of people here with, with tender hearts towards um, lost men and women. Would you um, use this strategy or another one? but use us to advance the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And of course, we pray again in Jesus' name.